Trilingual World Lit podcast. In today's episode, I speak with Zhang Ling, the author of A Single Swallow, and translator Shelley Bryant. Our conversation ranges, as these conversations always do, um, through themes of how it came to be that Zhang Ling writes about the themes of trauma, war, and memory, um, how that is inspired by her work as a clinical audiologist. Shelley shares her insight into the role of a translator um, and the language that she found in the original Chinese. I really hope you'll listen to the whole interview uh, and uh, yeah, here it is. Enjoy. So welcome everyone and uh, a big welcome to Zhang Ling, um, the author of A Single Swallow and Shelley Bryant, translator of A Single Swallow. It's so lovely to have you on the Interlingo World Lit podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. Lovely. So I have a lot of things I want to talk about the novel, both in terms of, of the novel itself and the translation. So it's, it's always so special to have the author uh, and the translator together. Have you been able to do some, some other promotion? I know that, uh, well, of course, Shang Ling, you're in Toronto, Shelley Bryant, you're in Singapore, so not together. Uh, and of course, in this COVID world, no one is doing live events, but have you been able to um, get out and promote the book in this strange new world? Yeah, we've been around doing a few events. Of course, it's a Zoom event and the world has changed. Uh, but Shirley, hey, we've seen each other quite a few times. We have. <laughs> we have. <laughs> we've had a busy couple of months since the book came out. That's wonderful. You know, it's 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 certainly been a lot harder for for authors and translators to promote their works these days in some ways. And yet um, maybe you can have a broader reach because you are doing things online. I think so. I think so. I think it would have been much more difficult for us to get together in as many cities as we have without yeah. this. Yeah. The only pity, hey, Shelley, is that that we can sign books physically. That's right. <laughs> That's true. That's the only thing. Otherwise, I think we've really brought people from all over the world to, to our event. Otherwise, mm. we it, it's just not possible. Yeah, um, yeah. I really think that's a that's a fabulous um, benefit of of everyone being able to gather on Zoom. Yeah. So, Ling, would you introduce us a little bit to uh, A Single Swallow, to the story? Uh, and I'd really love to hear also um, where the spark came for, for the book itself. Um, as a writer, sometimes I find it very difficult to introduce a book in a few sentences. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I feel probably I can say it's a war epic. Mm. about uh, the uh, war of anti-Japanese invasion in China, which is a part of the World War II. But a lot of people don't seem to know as much about the war in Asia than yes. the war in Europe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I think uh, one good thing about this book is to bring people to that particular historical period of time. And the, the book also involves something a lot of people are not aware of that's the uh, Americans involvement in China's war. Mm. 
And it's a love story as well. A Chinese woman uh, suffering unspeakable atrocity, you know, trauma from the war and how she really survives it. You know, it's, it's a love story. It can be read from different perspectives. Um, the inspiration, I would say, I've had this idea of writing about a war novel in China for a long, long time. For the simple reason, I feel like people don't really know much about that war. And the other uh, reason for me to write about trauma, war, and memory, that sort of thing, has a lot to do with my uh, working experience. I worked 17 years in Toronto as a clinical audiologist. So in my clinical setting, I've uh, been blessed with, with the opportunity to be in contact with a lot of war veterans and also refugees from war-torn countries. Wow. So their sufferings, their life experience really inspired me so much and make me seriously thinking about issues like trauma. So uh, a lot of it gets reflected in my book mm -hmm. and also through my reading of the war memoir. And, and a lot of times uh, I like to read books like that then I, I got to know the information about this small uh, secretive American naval group, their presence in China during the war and the 13 camps they established in China along the coastal line. And then I found out the eighth camp, which is what I wrote about in a single swallow was located in my hometown in China. Okay. Oh, so, wow. It's just what a surprise, you know. So immediately that got me interested. I kind of, be, it became crystal clear as to what I want to write about. And then I arranged um, uh, field trips a few times back home to that particular site. It's still there. And interviewing uh, surviving Chinese trainees in the camp and uh, also the uh, local folks, you know, uh, as children, they they had interaction with the Americans then. Uh, then, you know, so a lot of interesting uh, details and stories come, kind of surfaced, which uh, wow. really inspired me uh, in writing this book. Oh, how fascinating! It's it's such a um, it's such a complex book not in a, you know, just in that there, are, as you say, exactly that, there are so many themes, there is um, so much history, so many cultural references, there are um, such, um, it's a, it's a broad scope from different perspectives. Uh, so it's also really interesting to hear from you that it's also informed by your own work experience in another area just having interacted with with war veterans and those who have experienced some of the kind of traumas that you we see in the book. Definitely. My work experience, originally it was intended as my sort of a thing to support my writing. And in the beginning, I was quite resentful in the sense because it took eight hours <laughs> of my day, you know, <laughs> huge amount of my time just rip off, you know. Then eventually I realized that not only 
it provides me with the, the financial stability so that I don't have to worry so much like whether my book is going to sell or not, you know. But also, on the other hand, it just opens up such a window for me to see a world otherwise I would never have the opportunity of seeing. Mm-hmm. So uh, it enriches my life. I'm forever grateful. I'm, I'm no longer working now, but mm-hmm. 17 years, really, really. In the beginning, I had the opportunity of seeing uh, veterans from the First World War. Amazing. You know, just amazing. Then you've got Second World War. You've got Korean War. You've got Vietnam war in Vietnam and yes. all the Middle East, that, that sort of thing. It's just they, those people really enriched my life and uh, I, I feel that compassion and empathy I just feel it's 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 quite essential for a writer absolutely 100% I think that is oh I'm so glad you said that I really do feel that that is absolutely the point of books as well for readers you know is however different a a culture or setting or anything about a book may be what we find at the very center of it is really humanity and what humans go through the human experience Mm -hmm. Shelley Tell us about how you got involved in the project and bringing Ling's work into English. She she actually had already signed a contract with Amazon um, Crossing whenever, um, before they approached me. And I believe, if I'm not wrong, that Ling gave them my name. Um, If I'm I'm not not wrong about that. And so um, then they approached me and, and, you know, uh, offered me the contract to to translate the book, which I was quite happy to do. Then uh, Ling and I were able to meet up in Shanghai together um, when she was visiting one one time, uh, had dinner together, got to have a, quite a nice long talk about it. I had already spoken to the editors at that time about what was expected and found we were all very much on the same page. We're wanting to bring a very good um, English language reading experience, um, quite willing to let it let the book change shape a little bit if it needed to, to fit into that English market. Um, mm-hmm. Ling was very much not only on board with that I would say she kind of led that that was almost the first thing she said to me was she wanted it to to be that type of translation she didn't want me to feel constrained by needing to be too literal you know to what she has said exactly in the same wording but to, to make sure that the, the English language readers get to have the same experience that Chinese language readers would have and if if that means you know massaging it a little bit to make it fit then that that was okay with her not only okay it was what she wanted and that was actually a really good um um, thing to hear from her that we that that's what she she wanted from me and that's the way that I actually approach uh, uh, prefer to approach every translation that's also what Amazon wanted to do so it was really a very good fit I thought um, thought we had good chemistry and it worked out very well beautiful and it is so enriching Shelley isn't it to be able to work with an author who who speaks and uh, you know the language so well the the discussions can be so much richer and deeper right yeah. Beautiful. And so Ling, of course, you write in, in your native language in Chinese. And do you want to tell us a little bit about about your choice to do that as as opposed to writing in English? Because clearly you are you would be able to. Uh, I think, first of all, it's an artistic uh, decision. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I am uh, uh, that type of author that really plays a lot of emphasis on the beauty of the language. 
and the the freedom to ban the language in whichever way so that the page comes sort of vivid, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. So I've got that particular thing in my mind. I just feel with an acquired language, a second language, definitely I can tell an okay story, a smooth story, no problem. I have confidence mm-hmm. uh, for that. But not beyond that, you know, mm. the things like nuances, you know, irony and humor, that sort of thing. I just feel like so much um, at ease with my native language. And then when I try to write in English, all of a sudden I have to think <laughs> so hard about bringing out those little things. To me, it's important. Yes. To other writers, maybe it's not as important and we've seen writers in in um working in a different country many many uh Nabokov, for example originally um he wrote in russian uh, his native language eventually he switched it to english um, i don't know russian well enough to compare to see mm-hmm. the language di- the differences in style you know but that will be something for an interested scholar to do, just to mm-hmm. see whether there is a change in style, you know. Yeah. Um, so for me, I'm not satisfied with just telling a story. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, to me, a book, a, a novel, a fiction, a piece of fiction is really a piece of art. So yes. I want that language sort of refinement or poetry or elegance in it so I don't know I wasn't sure I'm still not sure whether I can reach the same level Mm. if I write an English novel you know by the way I am trying my first English novel right now so um, yes it's it's a difficult heartbreaking choice almost Mm. to abandon your own native language for reason other than the language itself, because censorship is, is kind of tightening up. Okay. I, I really want to say, I think m- to get it published might be a little more difficult. Although I, I count my blessings so far, I have been very blessed, you know. So yes. I'm, I'm just trying to, to move to a different direction. At, at my age, I think it's a huge, challenge you know but I'm gonna I am willing to take that risk oh that is wonderful and so interesting as you say that uh, that it's heartbreaking as well because if you had the choice you would write this next novel in Chinese yeah Shelley, that's one thing you commented on is just the incredible beauty of Ling's language in the original can you tell us a little bit about that yeah I mean that's um one, I think that's one of the most striking things about her writing generally, um, but certainly within this book, it, especially, I think that um, the language itself is so beautiful and we, we really we really work quite hard, I would say, together, not, not just me, but um, the editorial team, Ling herself, to try to um, bring that, that lyricism across into English as well. So we put a, a lot of extra effort into that um, because it is so important in her work already. I think it's one of the things that she's known for, um, mm-hmm. and we wanted to make sure that that, that comes across in um, English as well. 
So if you, if you ask Chinese readers um, about her work, that's one of the things they will mention is how strong her language is and how beautiful okay. it is. So that's something that I thought was really important that we preserve that um, in English. And we had quite a number of discussions throughout the editorial process about that, about how we, we yes, we need to get meaning there, but it has to be beautiful too. It's not enough to just get the meaning on the page. Mm-hmm. Well, it really is stunning. There's, a, I, I can't tell you how many places I've just highlighted the things just for the phrasing, just for the beauty, just for the way that it did evoke an image. Um, and I did think of you a lot, Shelley, just because you are a poet yourself. And I think you really brought that to the translation. Thank you. I'm glad. I, I, we, we worked hard on it. It was not just me. It was a, a team effort. Well, <laughs> yeah. I just want to add, it's just amazing. So many people commented on the beauty of language because uh, they, of course, I, a majority of them couldn't read Chinese at all. You know, that they, they have to yes. rely on English to sort of having a little bit of uh, appreciation of the original language. Shelley's language is just, just so poetic and mm. so I, I just feel very thankful very grateful and blessed oh, I'm running material to work with too so, so so it was it all comes down to that right the source material was there and provided yeah. that for us so it's good that's wonderful it is it is so rewarding when when those relationships are so close those working relationships and you can really bring every aspect of a book to life that's just fabulous for us as readers yeah yes. yeah so um yeah you've brought up a lot of things that i've been thinking about as well and and you've just commented on one of them now i was having a conversation with um with a person recently and and they were saying they're multilingual and they were reading a book from a, a language that they don't know translated into English. And they were commenting that, you know, how can they, um, how can they pick up on everything, all of the cultural nuances, all of the, what an author intended to convey. And one of the thoughts that I had, I mean, I have, I've been a translator myself of, of fiction and nonfiction is that, to a certain extent, we just, we have to trust the translator that they are going to convey exactly as you said, Shelley, everything you got from the original. And my other thought is that, and this is maybe for you, Ling, is um, I don't think we ever pick up on everything that an author conveys anyhow, because we all just have our own experience and pick up on as much as we can. I'd love to hear your perspectives on that. I think for me, this is actually um, an important part of translation. Um, I, my own background is actually, I didn't study translation in university. I studied English literature and um, my specialization in my postgraduate work was in the reading process and the relationship between the reader and the text Ooh. and how um, meaning is generated. And, and I believe that me meaning is generated actually in the reading process, not in just the writing process. Um, I don't think that a written text means anything until a reader picks it up and the reader is the one who then collaborates with the author on creating meaning from that, that text that they share together. Um, and so I'm, I'm quite a strong believer in that, that school of thought, um, also a strong believer in the death of the author, even when I am the author, um, mm -hmm. I still believe in that. So that, that, <laughs> that the work has to have a life with the reader that, that the author has to be willing to be a bit hands-off with it. And um, the joy that comes from that is that you often find readers 
discovering things in the text that you didn't even realize were there, you know, as the author. And I think that's a, a beautiful thing when I hear readers tell me they, they found this or that in the text and think, oh yeah, I actually didn't see that meaning there, even though I'm the one who wrote the text. Um, and I think that, I, I really actually find that to be an exciting process as an author. And um, I think as a translator, then that sort of informs my work as well. Um, I'm so, so Ning mentioned just now that, that um, writing is an art. It's not actually just a, a text that's, it's, it's, not a, it's not a mechanical process, it's an artistic process. And I think particularly when we are working in Asian art, um, East Asian art, a huge part of the East Asian aesthetic, particularly the Chinese aesthetic, is, which has grown out you know, into Japan, Korea, and other parts of Asia, is that um, the white space is extremely important. So you have to have space for the viewer of a painting or the reader of a poem to, to step into that work and to become a part of that work by engaging with it. And that's, that's fundamental. Um, it's a fundamental principle in Chinese art of any kind. And so I believe that one of the, the worst sins that a translator can commit, and I think it's committed by most translators, is to try to fill up that space with explanations, assuming that the reader in the new language doesn't get it. Um, so if the author has gone to great pains to leave space for the reader to bring meaning out of the text, it's not my place as a translator to fill that space for the new readers. It's my place to recreate that space for the readers again to be the ones who are pulling out meaning from the text instead of me trying to shortcut that process. Because if I shortcut that process, the reader is not going to, um, the, the real meaning has to come from the reader, not from mm -hmm. me. So I need to duplicate what Ling has done for her readers and do that for for new readers now as well in English. Mm. Fascinating. Oh, I just love, I would like to talk to you about that forever, Shelley. Um, <laughs> it, it's entirely the basis of, of my new work now, which is really about allowing readers to interact with texts in, mm. in this way. That's just fascinating. Ling, how do you view all of this? Um, I think being able to read uh, English text for me, for Shelley, for some translators might have been a nightmare, you know what I mean? Uh, but in my case, I can only speak from my personal experience. I feel it's a blessing because now I can say out of all honesty that this is such a beautiful work. Just because I can understand English reasonably well, I can come to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, just imagining I can't read the translation, that panic and uncertainty in me, and sometimes may yes. even be distrust, you know, what is she doing? I have no idea, you know what I mean, if I don't mm -hmm. understand English. So mm -hmm. that's a uh, blessing. Then I want to talk a little bit about the, the my idea of translation. Uh, I myself could possibly do a translation as well. I mean, from uh, English to Chinese rather than the other right. way. Um, I would think a cliche people so often talk about is a loss in translation. Mm, uh, yes. Loss in translation is a reality. Uh, it sounds cruel, but it's a reality. Oftentimes with a good translator, what's lost is really the cultural aspects or uh, 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 specific aspects of the language itself. Like for example, in English, we, we read Shakespeare. This crazy guy uses pun <laughs> so much. How can you translate a pun into Chinese? That two layers of meaning, one of them 
has to be sacrificed. And like Shelly said, you can't put a footnote every which way. <laughs> then it will be like 10,000 pages, right? <laughs> so, for, but oftentimes people don't really appreciate the fact sometimes that you gain so much out of translation as well. Yes. And, and the take a swallow as an example, that character, Pastor Billy, I feel in the English translation, that character becomes fuller, mm. like more like multidimensional, just because Christian faith is a Western concept. Right. So English language is a much better tool to utilize, to, to portray, to describe a thing that originally belongs to that culture. So with Shelley's translation, I just feel that philosophical depths, intellectual richness, and a sense of humor and the flexibility to adapt to the environment, that sort of thing just comes out shining in, mm -hmm. in Pastor Billy compared to the original Chinese. I think right. in English, it's a much a richer character uh, due to Shelley and due to that tool of language, language as well. So I think so many times people just do not say that out loud. Mm. All right, we lose certain things which is not doable, doable mm -hmm. in English, I mean, in translation. That's fine. If we are open-minded enough just to accept something we can't change, we're going to lose something for sure. But then you, could, you, you have to think about the things you gain. It opens up a new world. So I think it's yes. a beautiful thing. I agree. I, I'm sure, by the way, Shelley, I'm sure if any other foreign language rights are sold, people are going to go based on your translation instead of going back to the original Chinese. The Chinese. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they'll want to use both. That would actually be, be a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, I love that perspective, though, that, you know, just because something is lost, it doesn't mean something else isn't gained. And I think that is 100% true of, of translation. And I really appreciate that, that broad perspective from you. Mm -hmm. You can see why it was uh, so easy to work with her. Yes, what a joy, what a joy. So let's go back to the story itself. Um, you, you mentioned, Ling, of course, that, you know, you're right. This notion of the war of resistance in China, the invasion by the Japanese is, is an aspect of the Second World War that very few of us, um, you know, really are aware of or understand in any sort of depth. Um, and you said that you did go back and do the research there and this base was there in your hometown. Can you tell us a little bit just about what you discovered um, in your research about this whole period? Um, first of all, uh, the ACE camp site, uh, which is like uh, uh, probably 200 kilometers away from the city that I was born and raised, and it's still under the jurisdiction of that city. Um, at that time, we were talking about 70, 80 years ago, it was a very remote sort of isolated village. Just imagining an American presence at that time, it's really forced upon the local people. 
due right. to the war. And those people don't even speak or didn't even speak that uh, Mandarin version, the official version of the language, uh, of their own language. Mm -hmm. And imagining a, a group like 70, 80 Americans coming to that village, taking the best lodging, whatever, best resource of that uh, area and the government, the Chinese nationalist, the government at that time really provided the very best for them. But again, you're just imagining the initial sort of distrust, resentment from both sides, really. I mean, for the Americans, they live a relatively sort of well life compared to the Chinese standard in a well right. off, you know, yes. to them. And the local people were so very poor. And then for them, for the Americans, isolated life in such a tiny little village, seeing nothing of the outside world for that very long as well. For a group of youngsters like late teens and early 20s, life for them was very difficult. And the, the, for the local people having to sacrifice whatever little they've got to provide for this large group of people. And it was hard as well. Without war, those two group of people would never have met at that time. So mm -hmm. the, the stories that I discovered about this process of eventually accepting each other, working together, forging that beautiful friendship you know, things like that moved me very, very much. I, I just felt like it's a privilege for me to write a book like this. I feel like I gained so much. Mm -hmm. My life all of a sudden has this added layer of dimension to it compared to the me prior to writing this book. It was, a, I felt like it was a thin, shallow, uh, mm. sort of naive me, you know, this book enriched me so much. I could go on like for three days talking about <laughs> my few trips, the stories I discovered. But yes. I, I tell you, in short, it just, I, I'm very much moved by them, by their stories. Wow. Uh, you know, it really does come through in the book that that sense of of, you know, these peoples coming together, some of the clashes, you know, the, the disparities, like you say, between the uh, American soldiers and the local soldiers and what they had. Um, but also it, there is this notion of, you know, the missionaries, Pastor Billy. Um, it is a really incredible blend of um, perspectives, I would say, maybe. So Pastor Billy, uh, you know, comes from a missionary perspective, you know, speaks Chinese, has been there for basically most of his life. Ian Ferguson is, you know, the, the American soldier who is brand new to the culture. Um, Liu Zhao, who is, you know, the Chinese soldier. And then, of course, we have the central character who I want to talk about in, in a minute as well. But um, Ayan, who is, who is a local girl, um, you know, really all of those have very different perspectives and very different voices. And I wondered, Shelley, for you, what that was like to convey sort of that whole range. Yeah, that was um, probably the biggest challenge of the book was how many different narrators. And then um, you need to be able to show the growth of the narrator in their voice. Um, yes. You know, 
and, and so you have multiple narrators, but they have to have distinct voices, and then each of those voices has to grow in a certain direction um, as you're writing. So that that was, I would say, the unique challenge of this book. Um, and I've I've done some things that were similar, where there were different voices and all of that, but not nearly as many, and certainly not with two American narrators and some Chinese narrators, you know, with uh, Liu Xiaohu being the main one, but yeah. some of the others also were. Um, and then, of course, the two dogs as well, um, yes. newspaper article as well. Um, so all of these things had to be very different tones. Um, and in fact, during the editorial process, one of the things that um, <clears throat> the editor and I discovered was that we were both trying to do opposite things with the dogs' voices, um, oh. go in different directions in terms of register. Um, so it was um, an interesting thing that we then had to go back and revisit what where do the dogs fit? Do they need to sound a little more formal, less formal, um, or what, you know? And so th these things all came into be part of the discussion, um, not, not just when I was translating, but even well beyond uh, into the mm -hmm. editing. Yeah, that, uh, they really did come across as very distinct. You could tell who, who was speaking. And sure. Ling, that is just so interesting that here we are reading a novel from the perspective of, of three men, um, uh, actually their spirits, actually we're reading from the perspective of them as spirits um, after their deaths. And then we get the perspective of the dogs. Why did you want to bring that in? Interesting question. I've, I've got this asked a lot you mm -hmm. know uh, and people the readers feedback seem to be like they either just love it so much or they just hate it so much uh, <laughs> it's the process of writing you know when you're writing a story you've got a full control of the characters dogs included but once this process is over the book is out there I feel just no control whatsoever. You know? <laughs> it's open to any kind of scrutiny, criticism, uh, ridicule, whatever. People can just just praise it, or they can just spit on it. You know what I mean? Dog part seem to be uh, the, the center of attention as far as the feedback is is con uh, concerned. The reason for me to put them in, I think there are several of them. Uh, the most important one is to reflect the historical truth. Um, Americans probably were the only people in the world who had this faith. I won't say it's intelligent faith or, or ridiculous faith, I won't say. They, they believe that the well-trained military dogs can reduce, once put in action, can reduce the casualty of the, the personnel. So uh, those dogs, uh, I read from a memoir and also from my local visit, uh, talking to the local people, they, they were historical truth. So, yeah. uh, you know, at that time, the transportation had to uh, depend so heavily on the hump, you know, across the uh, Himalaya. And it was very, very difficult uh, journey because the rest of China was cut off from the rest of the world. So supply from American for their Air Force flying tigers or the Naval or whatever depended so heavily on Hung. So every 17 flight, there's one fatal accident. You know, people were, were sort of pilot would just smash into the mountain. So 
out of such a limited space for, for transportation and dogs were a part of it. Okay. So those dogs were shipped from Washington DC to Chongqing. Uh, it was the, the, the wartime capital then. Um, and then dispatched into different sort of local training camps. Uh, so that's, this is a, a part of the historical truth and mentioned so often that I wanted to have a reflection in my book. And the other thing is simply just, just I, I was getting bored. It was too depressing a story. You know what I mean? It's right. Death, good people suffering, bad guys triumphant, you know, all that death, uh, injury, suffering. It was too much for me psychologically. I feel like I want to do something a little for my own sake to keep my sanity to give me a little bit of so brighten up space so i i brought the dogs in and um also i feel like the dog story uh it's just a very good tool for me to convey the love story of the two main characters, Ian and Ian. Ian, let's face it, is the only one Ian really loved with a passion, you know, because uh, mm -hmm. Pastor Bailey talks about future so much. He's a boring kind of old guy to Ian, you know what I mean? Not yes. to us, but to Ian. Yes. But Liu Zhao Hu forever just, just couldn't shake himself off that uh, shame that Ian lost uh, virginity and, and uh, uh, in sort of in a, a semi-open way, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So forever, he reminded Ayin of the past. Pastor Billy reminds her constantly of the future, wartime, there's no future. People talk about tomorrow morning. They don't want to think about a year later after war, that sort of thing. So Ian is the one she loves so passionately without carefree kind of thing. So. Uh, I, I, but I don't know how to write about their interaction. A lot of it happened when Pastor Billy was away. So they sort of, they had this little tiny private space. Whatever they did, whatever they said, there's nobody there to mm -hmm. see. And the dog's presence just gave me that convenient tool. So in their eyes, they, they were omnipresent in the sense when the two of them were sort of courting each other. So for that, it's a technical tool for me, mm. very handy as well. Yes. Oh, I love that it has so many reasons for, for that, that section, because um, I, I must say I did find the relief in it as well, that it did just, you know, bring a, a tiny bit of levity to, um, to a difficult story to aspects of the story that are very difficult. Um, but yes, it did also provide you with that, that tool, that perspective to tell the story sort of behind the scenes that, that other humans didn't see. That's very rich, yeah. Um, I think the other thing I was thinking about in terms of that is, and I'm sure you've heard this question before as well, but uh, I'd love to hear both your thoughts on it, is we, the story really ultimately um, centers around Ayan, 
but we never see it from her perspective. We only see it through the eyes of the men who love her and who all love her, as you say, in very different ways um, at different points in her life. And um, I thought it was a, a really magnificent technique but at times I was so frustrated too. I just wanted to hear from her. <laughs> and you know why I felt that way is because I cared so much about her. You did such an incredible job of creating this character through everyone else's eyes that I could connect with her. Um, and I just love to hear um, what you were intending there and why you chose not to have her perspective appear. Okay. Uh, first of all, again, it's a sort of historical truth kind of thing. Uh, the, the story was set in late 30 and early 40s uh, in uh, Southern China. Southern China, in a sense, at that time was more isolated due to the, the, uh, the uh, geographical situation it's a mountainous sort of area in southern china the, the the way connecting to the outside it was very difficult it was by sampan really by waterway right. so uh we're not even talking about western inference we're talking about any outside inference it's very difficult so in those days female young girls especially um before they married into a family, becoming the mistress of the, the house, you know, household. So they typically did not have almost nothing, no say in anything. So there's this uh, very um, uh, dominant doctrine in China, like three obeyings for young women or for women any age. Like when you were young, before you got married, you obey your father. So that's the first obey. Then when you got married into a household, you obey your husband, that's the second. And when you got old, then you listen, obey your son, your, especially your eldest oh, son. Yes. So that's three obeying. So female voice was typically not heard. Mm -hmm. So um, not to have Ayan's perspective is really a reflection of the historical as well as the geographical sort of truths, you know, of the truth to, to this particular geographical area, especially. So that's the, the historical portion of it. The other thing is also a technical tool. For some reason, I find it, it's my idiosyncrasy as a writer. Not everybody feels that way. For me, writing from first perspective, when it's a, a sort of multi- it's very difficult for me. Mm. Like Ayan is, a, like you said, is a very complex character. She shows a different side of her to different people. So to Pastor Billy, she's kind of a, a dutiful daughter kind of figure. To to uh, Liu Zhao, who's she's such a care laden person. You don't see a moment of lightheartedness in in Ayan when. She's with Liu Jiaohu. Then uh, Ian is the only one that he can 
she can really enjoy a moment of lightheartedness. You know, she's got that playfulness with him that she would never show to anybody else. Mm -hmm. So with such a complex character, if I have her voice heard, that means I have to have three versions of me. Like I do this, I do that. I say this, I say that. To me, it's difficult. Right. I would rather pick a perspective so that she has three, her, you know, she is doing this, she's doing that from other people's perspective. Uh, I find the first person narrative very difficult to handle, especially when it has three versions, at least the three versions. If you sort of discount the dog's version, if you count in dogs, there are five <laughs> different versions of right. me. So to me, it's, it's too much. It's difficult to handle. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes perfect sense from the historical context as well. Mm -hmm. Do you mind if I add a comment on that as well? Please, yeah. Oh, this is actually something that I remember um, before the book came out, I, I told Ling we're going to have to be prepared to field this question frequently um, because I, I knew just cultural differences again between China and, and Western expectations. Um, and that um, I, I do think that this is one of the instances where I was quite glad we didn't feel a need to um, adapt the book in any way to the, to the Western reader because I feel um, it's actually, it, it's asking a question that is very important in the English context, and I understand all of that, but for this book, it's completely the wrong question, mm. um, because I think there is a value in um, the Western mindset, which is if, if, if I, I show that I'm strong by speaking up, um, okay. whereas um, yes. I do think that Ian's strength comes across because she is able to bear up silently under all of the pressures the, and, and, it, and I believe she's the only character in the book who is really strong. Um, I think the men are very weak. They take from her and they take from her and they take from her and they take from her. And at the end of the day, she is the one who comes through it. And she is the one who, who actually comes through it with her character intact, with her strength intact. Although all the things that everybody has said about her and all of the things that they've done to tear her down, she's the only one who's left standing in that sense, um, it, as I see it. And, and mm -hmm. I also believe that she's the only character in the book who... Um, understands how to love. I believe yes. all the men. We can talk about it as a love story, but I don't believe any of the men actually love her. I believe they take because what a good suffering. point. And, what and a I good point. And that's why she becomes the moral center is because she doesn't feel she has to have her say, but she just is going to have her say by living it out. Uh, can I add one thing? Because mm -hmm. Shirley has said such a good point. It reminded me of something I thought of before I started the project. I, when I thought of Ayen before I started, that image of water came to me. That quiet strength mm -hmm. Shelley mm -hmm. talked about. When, when we talk about strength, typically mm -hmm. we'll use words like steel, mm -hmm. metal, rock. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. Ayen's strength is water. In what mm -hmm. sense? Because water would just kind of mold itself to the shape of the riverbed mm -hmm. it, it flows in mm -hmm. you know uh, and no matter how difficult how rough the terrain the water just quietly adapts to it it mm -hmm. sustains and survives so so this is something that comes to my mind it's a different kind of of strength i want to show that different kind of strength versus the cliche we talk about men 
the, the rough guy, you know, Hemingway type of guy. Uh, but Ayang is entirely different. You, you don't hear her, but that does not mean she does not do things. She, she's the one really who sustains all the men and who survives all the men. So mm -hmm. that, that image of water just strikes me so, so very uh, strongly here. Yeah, I think also then like water is not only does she find her path and she survives and all those things, but she also brings life to everything around her. Mm -hmm. Good so point. It's, it's actually a, it's a very, very real image. And, and that's why the river also is so central to the landscape there. Yes. And then she's so central to all of the, these, you know, I mean, so if you think about in Chinese paintings, right, this Shanshui, it's the same thing, that contra contrast between the hardness of the mountains and the softness of the river. Mm -hmm. And I think it's actually... Is it's really well done in the book that now that when you when you say it I can actually see that that image of water there and so that's that's nice to hear you had that thought in mind when you were writing. Yeah, definitely. And you know, without her, there is no story. She is the central character. She is the reason for the story. You know, around which all all of the other perspectives um, revolve. Mm hmm. Yeah, beautiful. So I think I would love to end just by asking you both. So Shelley, I will start with you. Um, what, as a reader for you, I'll start this way. Um, how did a single swallow impact you as a reader? What did you take from it? I think it's, it's, it, it actually is a very personal story for me as well, um, which although I'm not the one who created the characters and all of that, they um, definitely resonate with people who I know and have interacted with all of my life. Um, I grew up in a very religious family. My father is a preacher, so I've known lots of Pastor Billies in my time. Um, okay. But my grandfather was actually in the Navy and fighting in South China during World War II as well. So I've known Ian as well, um, you know, lots of Ians as, as well. Um, so, so that was was real from my American upbringing, but the Chinese characters, particularly Ayin, reflects so many Chinese women who I have known um, and that quiet strength that has sustained me just like it has, um, the, like I said, the water, you know, sustaining the, the landscape around it. And I, I actually took that character, I, I would say, with me for quite some time. Um, and, and, still still is with me uh, now. So I, I, I appreciate the character very much of Ayan. Beautiful, beautiful. And Ling, what do you hope readers will, is there one thing you hope readers will take specifically from, from this incredible book? It's, it's a difficult thing to say. Just like I said, once you finish the book, it's out open out there. Like, <laughs> A thousand people might have different, a thousand different views, you know. Uh, I just wish they would get to know this piece of history uh, in, in an artistic way, you know, because otherwise they can find information from archives and libraries, you know, mm -hmm. but it's a fiction so that, that they can uh, appreciate a piece of history and also appreciate uh it's in a different art form. So that's something I wish they'd do. 
And uh, for myself, this particular experience, starting from the research period until it's ending, no, it's actually, it does not end with the publication because right now we, we have all those Zoom activities, readings, dialogues, and things like that. All of a sudden I feel readers feedback kind of coming back to enrich the book itself. Mm. And it's a beautiful uh, experience. And by writing this book, I would say the most unique experiences, I find my hometown, a piece of history about my hometown in North America. Then coming back going back to the field trips and things like that, then I find North America in my hometown. Mm. So that kind of cross thing is just so uh, looking back it's spectacular this is an experience to me as a writer I will never forget this is my uh, swallow is my ninth novel yes it's a, uh, so in a sense but it's a, such a special one it will just stand out from all the rest of them just just I'll remember the experience cherish the experience forever mm. if I die tomorrow let's hope it won't happen i mm. want people to remember that particular book you know oh, well. hopefully uh, our little much longer than yes. and i have more <laughs> books to give to our readers and to Shelley too right <laughs> yes yes well i i will tell you that that i took so much from this book i really did as i say i reacted very emotionally to it to to the character of ayan um, I, I did learn so much. Um, my father was, was in World War II and the Canadian forces in Europe. And so I certainly lived with many stories of the war, but certainly never about the war as it took place in Asia. Um, and I think that we are richer for learning about that aspect of history for sure. Um, we are so lucky to have seen it through these multiple uh, voices and perspectives in this novel and, uh, and, and so much more. It really was a very, um, uh, a very impactful novel uh, for me to read. So I want to thank you both so much for the book, Shelley, for, for allowing us to read it in English, um, Ling for writing it, of course. Uh, and I hope that there will be future collaborations because as you say, Ling, you have many more books uh, and we would dearly love to read them in English. Thank you so much Lisa, for giving us this opportunity to share. Oh, it's beautiful. Lovely, thank you so much. So for everyone watching um, or listening, um, I will have, of course, Ling and Shelley's bios and links to the book in the show notes. I heartily encourage you to get a copy of A Single Swallow uh, and experience it for yourself. Um, of course, if you enjoyed this podcast, it would be wonderful if you could subscribe, um, share it with other listeners or, or viewers on YouTube, um, and go to intralingo.com if you wish to support it in any way. Uh, we have a new project uh, called the Wayfarers Book Club, uh, where we explore the world through books, and uh, it would be lovely if you wanted to check that out as well. Thank you again, Ling and Shelley, and uh, until the next book. Thank you so much.